Jesus' name. I'm going to invite you, if you can, join me in the Word of God. John chapter 8, last Sunday began a new series called Jesus, and today we're going to enter into the, the second installment of the series, and I believe that God's going to speak in a powerful way. John chapter 8 and verse number 2 reads like this, Now early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought him to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they set her, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Then this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down. Someone say, stoop down. And wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Someone say amen. My message today is very simple. Jesus forgives. Someone say Jesus forgives. Why don't we pray one more time? Father, we thank you for your presence that we feel in this place today. For the way that you have already moved in this house, God. No doubt you are here. And I ask, Lord, that you would anoint our hearing, our ears to receive your word, God. That this word, like a seed, would be planted into our hearts, Lord, and would bring forth fruits, fruits of repentance and fruits of change and miracles, God. God, I pray that you would fill your word with my your, your word in my mouth, Lord. Anoint my lips of clay to preach this message. In Jesus' name I ask this right now. In your name we pray. Everyone say amen. You may be seated in God's house. Imagine for a moment that you are in a courtroom. Standing before a judge who is about ready to read your sentence for a serious crime. The evidence against you is overwhelming. And you are, no doubt, guilty. Tension hangs in the air with the weight of judgment and condemnation pressing down on you. There is nowhere you can hide, nowhere you can go. All of your appeals have been exhausted. This is it. Your heart is heavy with shame and regret. And you wonder, you wonder in the darkest places of your mind how you will ever be able to face the consequences of your actions. 
And this is the scene that we find in John chapter 8 as the woman is thrown at the feet of Jesus. It's a courtroom drama like any other with the Son of God himself as the judge and also as the attorney. As Jesus taught in the temple courts in Jerusalem, a religious group known as the Pharisees brought to him a woman who committed adultery, a crime punishable by stoning in those days, according to the law of Moses. And since the Pharisees had a vendetta against Jesus and opposed his gospel, they often schemed to try to catch him in violation of Jewish law that they might use it against him and shut down his ministry. And they would pose trick questions and attempt to corner the Son of God with moral dilemmas, hoping to trap him and hoping to uh, use it against him in some way that if he wrongly answered, they could accuse him and somehow stop his movement from progressing. That was what was on their minds on that day when they brought this case before him. And the case before him on this particular occasion seemed like a slam dunk verdict. The proverbial smoking gun was a woman that was caught in the very act of breaking the law. And so conclusive was the evidence against her that an angry mob had already armed themselves with stones to render the judgment against her. There was nowhere she could hide, nowhere she could go. This was everything. All of her, her, her life had come down to this very moment. The stakes could not be higher as both mercy and justice collided together in those temple courts. And all stood back and waited to see what Jesus was going to do and how he would handle the situation, this moral dilemma brought before him. What would the Son of God and how would he respond to these accusations? How would he answer the critics that seemed to have everything in their favor and this guilty person with nothing to do, nothing else to say, standing there at the mercy of the courts. But verse 6 tells us, but Jesus stooped down and rode in the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Church and friend, today I want you, if you can, picture in your mind Jesus bending down near the ground. I want you for a moment to think about all of the tension that is filling the atmosphere, um, the life of this uh, poor woman hanging in the balance, and all of those that have gathered around with their stones ready to level judgment against her. And the posture of Christ in this moment, I want it to be in the forefront of our minds today because I believe that as we can visualize Jesus not answering a word to those that are there but stooping down the Son of God and dipping his holy finger into the dirt and beginning to write uh, something into the ground. And I believe that as Jesus stooped down into the ground and began to write there that the posture of Christ 
Christ. This posture that we see uh, before us today, I believe, is a picture of Almighty God and the mission of God altogether in coming down. I believe that this is a picture of God who stepped down from heaven in order that he might touch the dusty and the dirty filth of this world. I believe that as Jesus stooped down in that moment, uh, provided for us a visual example of what his mission was all about, that he came from his uh, celestial state of heaven that he stepped out of the courts of glory and stepped into the rubbish of man and touched us with his holy finger and this is my friend a beautiful and clear picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ that for God so loved the world that he came and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth Somebody ought to clap your hands today and give God the glory because he stooped down. Yes, he did. He stooped down. How many of you know that he didn't have to come? How many of you know that he could have left us in our state, uh, in our state of sin? How many of you know that God did not have to come, but it was through his own will and through his own choice and intention that he stooped down? And the first thing I want to tell somebody today is that there is no sin that is beyond his stoop. There is no sin, there is no place, there is no situation that is beyond the stooping of God. Shaken, bloody, and dirty, the woman sat on the dusty floor of the temple courts awaiting her sentence. She does not attempt to flee the scene of the crime, nor throw herself at the mercy of the courts. She does not argue her case. She does not present an alternate version of events. She just sits there silently knowing that she deserves whatever uh, is coming her way, that she deserves to suffer the full brunt uh, of her actions, the consequences. Uh, she does not even appeal because she herself knows that, that she was caught red-handed. Uh, she was caught in the very act uh, and in her city and in her silence implies an acknowledgement of wrongdoing and implies an acknowledgement that she knew she was wrong and she knows that there is nowhere for her to hide from her sin. She knows she is guilty and this guilt invites shame and therein lies the parallels or the paralyzed state that she is in, a state that someone today may find themselves in a state that someone today could possibly identify with. She is guilty and she has nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Under the illumination of her problems and her sins and her failures, there is nothing she could possibly say to dismiss her case from the judge's court. And there she sits in her shame and in her guilt. And if sin is the root, my friend, 
then guilt and shame are the fruit. In fact, guilt and shame are like twins born just moments apart. First comes the guilt and then comes the shame. I want to for a few moments describe how guilt and shame as a result of sin can begin to work in our lives and how it can deprive us from victory and how the enemy will use these things to destroy our lives. You got to understand the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says this. Guilt says I did something bad. And guilt is always tied to an event, to an occasion, to an experience, to a sin, to something that was done. But shame says I am bad. And it is not just tied to an event. It is tied to a person. It is important for you to see the distinction between these two. Because in a very real sense, uh, it, I would tell you that guilt is good when it leads to the right place. Uh, I'm not here to say that guilt is wrong. Sometimes guilt is necessary in order for us to come to terms uh, with the actions that we have done. Uh, in order for our consciences uh, to be awakened to our state of sin and our need of forgiveness. But, but shame goes a step further. If guilt is the wound, uh, is the wound, then, then shame is the scar. And shame, what it does is it takes on the identity of the sin and it, and it forces you to wear your faults and your failures uh, and wear them like a label. It forces you to, 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 to adopt whatever it is that, that you did and live your life as a prisoner to that thing. It forces you to, 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 to identify with that thing and, and, and for it to, to be on you and, and, and no matter how hard you try you, you, you can't get it off of you and no matter where you go, no matter what you tell yourself, it seems uh, that you just can't escape uh, from this cloud of shame uh, that is over your life and, and for this woman uh, it was the label of adulterer it was the label of adulterer but, but for you or somebody here today it could be the label of, of liar, it could be the label of addict, of cheater, of deceiver, of hypocrite, or of pride, or, or of greed. Any sin, any wrongdoing or fault can become a, a label that is attached to our life. But I've come to tell you that something incredible happens when you encounter Jesus. Something crazy and awesome happens when you encounter Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the great forgiver of our sin and liberator of our shame. Somebody give God some praise today. God is the great forgiver of our sin and great liberator of our shame. And I have come into this church today with a burden on my heart. I came to, into this place today not simply to deliver a sermon, but to deliver a message directly from God. And I have been carrying this burden because I believe that there is somebody here today that has been under the weight of shame and condemnation. And you need to know that God loves you and that God 
God wants to deliver you and free you and forgive you of your sin that you might live for him. Oh, I wonder if there's anybody here today that has ever felt the forgiveness of God. Is there a witness in the house of God? Is there somebody today that knows what it's like to have your sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb? Is there somebody here today that knows what it's like to have your shame washed away in the grace? And I wonder if you can take about 30 seconds and just offer God some praise right now. If you can say, thank you, God. You not only forgave my sins, but you took away my shame. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. He forgives us of our sins. And he came to take away the shame. And he came to offer us, yes, where sin, yes, sin abounds and where sin abounds. Grace, someone say grace. Grace did much more abound. Praise be to God. Can I tell somebody today, it's time to stop blaming yourself. It's time to stop blaming yourself. It's time to stop saying, well, if I could go back in time, I would do it differently. I would be smarter. I would be wiser. I would be better. Listen, you cannot go back in time. So stop beating yourself up over what you did. Stop beating yourself up over that time you fell. Stop beating yourself up over what you cannot go back, but you can go forward. You can move forward in grace. There is a love today. Oh, Hallelujah. There is a love today that covers a multitude of sin. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. So he can take your shame and your guilt and your condemnation and nail it to the cross. Oh, that's why he went to become sin. That you and I might become the righteousness of God. Because our righteousness, uh, for those of you who are anybody today that may think that you're, you know, you're, you're better than the rest of us. Let me tell you that all of your righteousness collectively together amounts to nothing more than filthy rags to the comparison of God. Your holiest day on earth still falls short of the glory of God. Oh, I need somebody today to understand that. That even those days, you know those days where you feel, well, I did good today. You lay your head down, man, boy, I was a good boy today. I was a good girl today. Even on that day, you fell vastly short of God's glorious standard. Oh, hallelujah. Fill my heart today, church. I want you to feel what this woman might have felt because she was outnumbered and out of options. The woman sat there on the dusty floor waiting for her fate to be sealed with a pile of stones. We get worried when people say things about us, possibly on social media or Facebook and over text. She would have much rather had people say things to her over text message than the pile of stones. But, but nevertheless, there are people in this world with their pile of stones, so to speak, that are ready to level judgment against you. And she was guilty as charged. And there are times where we are guilty as charged. And the case seems to be closed. But I thank God that he's not only a judge, but he's a defense attorney. Who, Lord, hallelujah. And Jesus doesn't respond to the critics. How many of you are thankful that God doesn't talk to your critics? 
Oh, hallelujah. You know how God deals with your critics? By ignoring them. And that's what you ought to do. Oh, hallelujah. Don't worry about what people are saying or thinking. Don't worry about what your haters and your critics have got to say. Someone's always going to have to say something about you. Or somebody who knows something about your past. And they'll try to use that against you. And say, who do you think you are trying to be used by God? Who do you think you are trying to make yourself? I know where you came from. And I know who you used to be. And I know what neighborhood you grew up in. And I know what joint you lit up. And I know what beer bottle you drank. And now, yeah, you may all know that. But I thank God that God is not holding me to what I used to be. I thank God. Oh, I may not be where I want to be. But I thank God that I'm not who I used to be. I'm a work in progress. And the grace of God is covering me. And they continued asking him. And his silence was deafening. Uh, his silence, uh, he didn't say nothing. And it was deafening to both the accuser and the accused. But the next, thing, the next thing I came to tell you is that his silence is not his absence. Hunched over and quiet, Jesus, he appeared for a moment that to be aloof and uninterested. Think for a moment. Put yourself square in the scene. I mean, uh, Jesus, you know, uh, uh, say something. You know, anything, huh? Anything. Like, just, you know, wink at him or something. Don't just like, but, but, but he just looked at the ground and he started writing. And, 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 and the silence must have been uh, piercing and deafening to all those. You've got the critics on one hand and they're, they're waiting for a response with bated breath. And then you've got the accused on the floor. And she, What's going to happen? Say anything. Say guilty, not guilty. Say something. I need to. Have you ever been in a place like that where you say, Lord, I don't care what it is you tell me. I just need to hear from you. I don't care if even if you correct me, you could, whatever it is, you could judge me correct as long as I hear from you. But that's better. Even correction and even if, if he, even judgment is better than silence. It's the silence that's killing me here. It's the silence. And as consoling as Jesus' posture was, down on the dirt, riding in the sand, the silence felt like an eternity for a person whose fate is hanging in the balance. A person whose future is out on a limb, is, is hanging there. Jesus, aren't you going to say something? Perhaps she was wondering... What is he thinking? Huh? What's going through the mind uh, of Jesus? What, what is he going to say? When is he going to say? When, when are you going to talk? Is he buying time? Is he pausing for effect? What's going on here? And there are those moments where you are waiting for God to speak or answer, to do something, and you, and you just wonder, what's, what's going on? The heavens feel like brass. I'm waiting on a word, and, and I'm not getting it, and, and, and it's getting worse each day. I'm, I'm feeling worse about myself. I'm feeling worse about my situation. And maybe there's somebody here who knows the struggle of being caught between a silent God and a loud enemy. Because the accusers did not stop talking. They were just chattering and chattering. Come on, say something. Say something. They wouldn't shut up. They just kept going. They're running their mouths and saying, come on, ask him a question. What are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do? And there are times when you're caught between the silence of God. God's not saying anything, but yet the devil won't shut up. 
my language. Hallelujah. But he won't. How many of you know he won't shut up? He keeps talking. He won't hold. He won't keep his mouth quiet. And the enemy is over there accusing you. And people are accusing you. And, and then you start reading into things. And people look at you funny. Well, I know what they're thinking. You don't even know what they're thinking. But everyone looks like a hater, you know. Everyone looks like they got some. And it just seems like the noise of accusation is getting louder and louder. And Jesus is getting quieter and quieter. And it starts to feel after maybe not on day one. But can I minister for for a few moments now, someone say, go ahead. But maybe not on day one, but, but on day two. And maybe not on day two, but on day three. At some point, you go, is he ever going to say something? Is he ever going to? Does, does, does he still love me? My God, has he forsaken me? See, so this is hard. Some of you, 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 you're having a hard time even admitting that you've asked these kind of questions. But has he moved on from me? Has he looked over me? Will he raise up another? Did I, did I blow it too bad this time? Did I go too far this time? Was that my last chance and I blew it? Is God done with me? Does he love me? Or, or even if he loves me, how many of you have, maybe you feel like, oh, God loves me, but he loves you like in a tolerating way, you know. Sometimes you, you, we're not questioning the love of God, but we're like, I, I know God loves me, but kind of like he loves me because he has to love me. Huh? Like he's tolerating me. You know in a relationship where you feel, how many of you ever have that feeling where you just, you're being tolerated? Huh? And sometimes we feel like that with God, which is he's just tolerating you. Does he really love me? And how come he isn't answering? And can I tell you that all those voices coming against you, chattering and, and, and the accusations and the criticism and the fault finding and the blame, that is not of God. That is the enemy. And I've come to tell you today that the devil is a liar. And he is the father of lies. Oh, come on. The Revelation 12 and 10 portrays him. Watch this. As the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night. No wonder he doesn't shut up. Because constantly around the clock, the devil is accusing. Who is he accusing? He is accusing the brethren, the church. Church, the brothers and the sisters in Christ and he is accusing and he is trying to build a case against the devil's got a case file on I need you to understand this today the devil's got a case file on every single one of us and he knows our faults and our failures and he takes those things to God and he is constantly accusing him oh you're gonna love her now you're still gonna use this guy you still got a plan for this girl you're still gonna bless this family and and he's constantly bringing these things up to God. But I thank God because his mercies are new every morning. Woo. I thank God because he does not answer the devil. You know why he doesn't answer the devil? Because if he answers him in that way, then he has lowered himself to his status and God won't do it. He won't do it. But verse Watch what verse uh, 6, uh, it says uh, that he was riding on the ground. He was riding on the ground. He was riding on the ground. Someone say he was riding on the ground. He was riding on the ground. He was riding. He was riding. He was riding. I'm, on, I'm just going to be just a few more moments, but hear me. He was, he was riding. He was, he was, he was moving. He was, oh, I'm going to help somebody. He was, someone say he was moving. Just because God is silent doesn't mean God is still. 
I'm going to feel, feel my help coming now. Just because God's not talking doesn't mean he's not moving. He was moving. And I've come to awaken somebody today and help you to understand that just because God not answering you in the way that you want and in the fashion and the timetable that you want, just because God is silent doesn't mean he's not working. Oh, you've got to know that God never stops moving. He never stops working. He never stops moving. Just because he's silent doesn't mean that he stopped working. God is on the job. God's working. God's moving. God's, oh my God, he's moving things around in your favor. I'm reminded of that song, Waymaker, even when I, even when I don't see it, you're working. Come on, somebody. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never, how many of you know today that God is still working? Clap your hands and give the Lord some praise here this afternoon. He's still moving. He's still working. And this is the enemy. He, he tries to play. He plays mind games. He plays tricks on your mind. And thinking, well, God, God's not answering, uh, you know, the way you want him to. And, and you still kind of feel bad about yourself and your life. Uh, and you think God, uh, he tries to convince you that God has forsaken you and forgotten you. And just kind of like put you on the shelf. But you got to know today that just because he's not speaking or just because he's not saying what you want him to say in the moment, you got to know that he's still moving. His hand, someone say his hand. His hand was moving. His hand was moving. I don't know what he was writing in the ground. I'm not sure, you know. Uh, Bible scholars, everyone tries to uh, assume or, or um, uh, you know, they try to uh, theorize what, what Jesus might have been writing. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. And God's not going to always tell you what he's doing. Because you know why? Even if he told you what he was writing, you wouldn't believe him anyways. You wouldn't believe the black. Some of you are on the verge of a breakthrough, on the verge of a miracle in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. That even if God, even if I told you exactly what it was, uh, you would say, how in the world is that going to happen? Don't you worry. You leave that up to God. Oh, my Lord. But I've come to tell somebody today that when God is silent, he is still working. He never, you know, the Bible says that he never sleeps nor slumbers. God never goes to bed. God's always working. He's always, oh my Lord, he's always on the move. Hallelujah. So whether you need forgiveness today, whether you need redemption, whether you need a miracle, whether you just need to know that you've got a second chance, I've come to tell you that the hand of God is in this place. Somebody give him some praise. Somebody magnify him today. Listen, as Jesus was writing as he wrote in the ground, you know, the, the critics just kept coming. They just kept asking questions, you know. What are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do? Come on. They're pressing him. Jesus answered, you know what? I got to deal with these guys. I got to deal with it. They're, you know, they're annoying me now. <laughs> you better be careful. You know, when, when God gets annoyed, that's it, you know. I, I'm tired of fooling with these guys. Enough is enough. So watch with verse 7. It says that he, he raised himself up. And he said to them, he who is without sin among you, go ahead and throw the first stone. And this brings me to the, my, my, my third and final point today, which is that he stands up for those who can't. 
said, he stands up for those who can't. Not only does he speak, he stands up. And he says, I'm going to stand for those who can't. Suddenly, the tape cuts off. And a gasp of fear swept across the faces of the mob, stunned by the plaints of their own eyes. Because you know it's easy to overlook your own sin, right? Uh, I got quiet when I said that. I said, you know it's easy to overlook your own sin. All of a sudden, they saw the plank that was sticking out of their own eyes. They learned in that moment that Jesus is not only a judge, but he's an attorney. Can I tell you right now? You have the right to remain silent. Because if you'll be silent, he'll speak for you. Oh, I'm going to help somebody. We might have to call up the piano player. The problem is, is that we don't stop. And God is not going to get in competition with you. So either you're going to be silent or he's going to be silent. But if we'll stop mm, and let him speak, God says, don't worry. God says, I got this. I got this. Stop trying to talk your way out. Of the whole, because everything you say to try to explain yourself, to try to help you, you just keep digging yourself a deeper hole. Let me speak for you. So he stands up and he fights, not for the innocent, but for the guilty. He fights not for the victim in this case, but for the accused. And this boggles my mind because it seemed that a just God would just fight for what is right. And what is right may have been that this woman ought to be stoned for her sins. Huh? But that's the benefit of serving both the judge and the defense attorney. Because now Jesus switches roles. He comes to the side of the defense attorney, and he says, hold up, I got this. They say that sometimes the worst thing that an accused person can do is take the stand. That's like, please, don't take the stand. Don't talk yourself out of this one. Let me do, someone say, let him do the talking. Let me do the talking, God said. And he begins to talk, and he tells them, he who is without sin can cast the first stone, and one by one, the stones begin to drop. And from the oldest down to the last, because you know why the oldest are? Because, man, they had a long life, and they made a lot of mistakes and a lot of sins. No wonder why they were the first ones that dropped the stones. Woo! Because they've lived life a long time already. They had a lot of failures and mistakes, and it didn't take them long to remember, oh, yep, drop that stone. And down to the youngest ones. There that they dropped the stones, and, and then it was just her and Jesus. But what I've come to tell you today is that Jesus 
He does not condone sin. Don't misinterpret the story. And say, that must mean that Jesus is okay with sin. No, sin is serious to God. And it's so serious that that's why he came into this world. The Bible says in John 3, 17. Come on, brother. I'm just about to. Why he came. He said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Someone give God some praise today. Jesus did not come to condemn you. He came into the world to forgive you. Now, you must understand that guilt, guilt is a necessary step in the process. So long as that it is godly guilt, so long as that it is the guilt that leads to repentance, the Holy Ghost doesn't condemn us. But can I tell you that he most certainly convicts us. Don't misinterpret what is happening here. There's a big difference between forgiving and excusing. God's not excusing your sin. You hear what I'm saying? He's not saying what you did was right. He's saying what you did was wrong. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to cancel your debt. Whew, Jesus. How do I know what I'm feeling? Am I feeling condemnation or conviction? Because there's a, there could be a short period of time where it feels the same. Well, condemnation, I can tell you, produces remorse. You may feel sorry for what you did, but conviction produces Condemnation, oh, breeds fear and shame. And if that's what you're feeling today, then know that that's condemnation. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear. And God did not come to bring shame. But conviction breeds forgiveness and change. Condemnation drives us away from God. But conviction, someone say conviction. Say it again, say conviction. Conviction drives us closer to God. So how do you know what am I dealing with in my heart right now? If it's driving you away from God, away from church, away from the brethren, away from your purpose, that's condemnation. But if it brings you to an altar, that's conviction. If it brings you to the mercy seat of Christ, that's conviction. If it makes you want to change your ways, that's conviction. If it makes you want to get baptized, that's conviction. If it makes you cry out to God. That's conviction. Would you stand with me here this afternoon? After all the accusers had walked away with their stones. Just play right there, musicians. This is good. After all of them walked away with their stones, guess who it was? It was just a woman and God. And that's where the Lord wants to get somebody here today. It's just you and him. It's you and him. And it was just Jesus and the woman that was there. And he said to her, woman, where 
are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus stands up for you. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. So that you can walk in forgiveness. Not so that you can continue in sin. Not so that you can just take your blessing and run. No, so that you can go and sin no more and live for him. Oh, would somebody just help me worship God right now? I feel the spirit of the Lord working. I feel the Holy Ghost ministering to somebody. Oh, hallelujah, God. Somebody, you were on God's mind this week. Somebody, you needed to hear this word. The word says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus forgives. He's ready to forgive you today. He's ready to wipe the slate clean. He's ready to give you a new start. He's ready. But there's somebody today that needs to get a hold of that. Somebody needs to forgive. Somebody needs to be forgiven. I feel the Holy Ghost. God, I feel God working right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah.